Welcome to Intimacy Play, a podcast by Pleasy Play. We host open discussions with world-leading experts on couples, sex, and intimacy, so you can build a more exciting, fun, and intimate relationship. I'm your host, Michaela Silva. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very interesting guest with us. So we have Habib. Habib is an author of six books, a sex educator, and a historian. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you, Michaela. How are you? I'm amazing. I'm super excited to be having this conversation with you, by the way. It's so different. I'm, I'm very pleased that you've invited me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. It should be exciting and fun. I was thinking, I'm saying, oh, it's so different, this conversation. And you're thinking, oh, this is just my usual conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so because nobody really knows what we're talking about and why I think it's such an interesting topic. So what we're going to talk about today is orgasms female orgasms to be very specific, a very interesting also technique called kunyazak. And we're also going to talk about the orgasm gap. So what is it? Uh, does it exist? Which I'm just going to hint and say it does. And how we can um, go over that. So as an intro, you know, how did you get into this world of female orgasms? <laughs> That's a lovely first question. <laughs> so um I've always been interested in sexology and erotology, erotology referring to the study of um, sexual ethics and um, sexual desire and lovemaking from a, a religious or Islamic perspective as, also, as well as from a cultural perspective. Um, and then I came across, um, so I've, I've been studying various different cultures and their understandings about sex and sexual pleasure, especially about women's pleasure, because I think that's a subject which we don't really hear much about. And I was particularly interested in how a lot of the ancient Arabs and Muslims used to view female sexuality because there's a lot of myths surrounding women being oppressed in the Muslim world. Whereas for my um, research from as far back as the ninth century or even before then the seventh century, there was a very sex positive or pleasure positive culture amongst a lot of the Arabs and the Muslims um, before the European colonized much of the Muslim world. So I wanted to understand how different cultures around the world, how they viewed female sexuality and um, female pleasure and things like that. So I've just been interested in different cultural understandings about sex and sexuality, especially looking at the perception of women being to desire and deserve pleasure rather than sex being goal-orientated. My understanding is that different cultures view sex differently. Like, so it should be pleasure-orientated. It should be about mutual pleasure. And it should be something that should be fun and enjoyable between the two partners, not something which is just about the orgasm or specific targets that you kind of need to reach. So I just wanted to understand sex from a different perspective from the Western one, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. I mean, I, I shared with you uh, a few minutes before we started the podcast. I am actually from um, Mozambique, from Africa. And I see that there's such a huge difference in the way that, you know, sexuality is viewed in Africa and in Europe and in other sides of the world. And I think it's amazing that, you you know, you had the opportunity to study that and to get in depth. And also now you're teaching everybody else what you've learned and helping people to be more sexually open and accepting. Well, accepting is not the right word, but it's actually looking for more pleasure and a different outcome than maybe some of them have. So what, why the female orgasm, by the way? I would say, exception, I do think that is, that is actually a nice word. And what I mean by that is that I think, especially with a lot of women, they do not accept themselves or they do not allow themselves to receive pleasure. They don't give themselves permission to, to receive and enjoy pleasure. So I would say I, I do like that word accept, as in to accept yourself, accept 
the pledge that your body's receiving and seeing yourself as someone who is a sexual being and embraces your sexual being or sensual being and enjoys that with your partner rather than being someone who's just a recipient of pleasure. And I think, especially in the Western world, there's a lot of sexual anxiety and hang-ups um, that many women face and there's a lot of pressure that women are supposed to perform for men. And even men, there's a lot of sexual anxiety that we suffer from. But I think there's more pressure placed on women and I don't think a lot of women allow themselves to accept pleasure and enjoy pleasure and see themselves as sexual beings even after motherhood, even after they've aged and things like that. And especially in the Western context, I'm saying, because from my experience, I'm originally from Nigeria, West Africa. Um, the attitude towards sex isn't as stringent as it is in the West. Like people can speak about sex quite freely, whether you're a man or woman of different ages, and it's not seen as, um, like I said, very goal orientated the way it is in the West. And there's a lot of pressure placed on women in particular. Um, so I just think it's important that we create safe spaces and environments where both men and women can understand each other because I do think there's a number of spaces which is great that's been created in the last 10 to 15 years where men speak amongst themselves or women speak amongst themselves. But especially within the heterosexual context, we need to understand each other. It's no point if me as a man, I understand my sexuality and what turns me on, but I don't understand what turns on my female partner and vice versa. So that's why I think it's important that we create spaces where we can have mutual understanding and ultimately get to understand our differences and then we can obviously complement each other in the bedroom so um, I do think your choice of word accepting I do think that was actually a nice word in terms of learning how to accept yourself and give yourself permission to experience pleasure especially as a woman yes it does make sense and I, and I agree with the fact that a lot of women don't accept themselves and, and men too so I don't want to just you know focus on on the female gender because I do think there are you know a lot of uh, men as well that have that issue and we should always you know accept that we are here and that we should have pleasure and we we deserve it uh, it doesn't matter where we're from uh, our gender our orientation or anything else so you know you specialize in the study and uh, there's something that you also talk about and you're also trying to make sure that it's not there anymore, which is the orgasm gap. But maybe a lot of people that are, are listening don't know what it is. Can you explain this? Sure. So the orgasm gap is a, it's a social cultural phenomenon which refers to the disparity between men and women um, experiencing sexual satisfaction or sexual climax or pleasure during heterosexual encounters. Um, it's something that many studies and um, sex researchers have found that most men on average um, orgasm about 95% of the time when they're having during sex in comparison to women. Some studies say 65% of the time. Some studies even say as low as 39% of the time. And one of the reasons, there are several reasons why the orgasm gap exists and why is it that men orgasm more frequently than women? And one of the main reasons is because, especially in cultures which concentrate on penetrative intercourse and the onus is sex is just about penetrative vaginal penetration. And we know that most women do not regularly experience an orgasm by penetrative sex alone. Only about 20 to 30% of women just experience an orgasm by penetrative sex. So a lot of women or a lot of couples are going into sexual encounters just focusing on penetrative sex. And that's why, um, in many cases, a lot of women aren't able to experience an orgasm like their male counterparts. Also, in addition to that, um, a lot of men or a lot of couples do not focus on clitoral stimulation. And there are many studies which suggest that most women um, require sufficient amount of clitoral stimulation, whether it's indirect or direct clitoral stimulation, in order to experience an orgasm. So there's a lot of misinformation and um, mis 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 misinformation about female sexuality, female anatomy, even amongst adults, 
because we tend to think about sex education for young people, children, whereas I think a lot of adults, we need sex education and understand sexual ethics. And for women to, um, again, like we spoke about earlier, give themselves permission to accept themselves and understand that their body is different to a man. And it's not about necessarily comparing one another that a woman should orgasm the way a man does, generally speaking. It's just about understanding how a woman's anatomy and um, sexual arousal process is very different to a man. And for the man, I think a lot of cases for men to understand um, the female anatomy and female arousal process. And the reason why I focus mainly on female sexuality is because I think historically we understand the way the male body works in terms of how a man's turned on, how a man's aroused and how a man can experience an, an orgasm. Whereas I, I think there's not that much um, studies and information that people know about the female process of how women can be turned on and experience an orgasm. And, you know, Hollywood movies and porn doesn't help because that's generally told from the male gaze. That's all about thrusting and penetrative intercourse, which, like I said, that's not the most effective way for most women to experience an orgasm. So that's why we have this phenomenon of the orgasm gap, which exists, which, again, like I said, refers to disparity between men and women. And I would say experiencing orgasm rather than having an orgasm. Um, the reason why I use the word experiencing orgasm as opposed to having an orgasm, because when we say having an orgasm or achieving an orgasm, it gives this impression that that's the goal, that orgasm is the goal. Whereas if we look at it as an experience of orgasm, orgasm may be part of the experience of sex, but you can have sex without having an orgasm. And, I, and as much as I, my mission is to close the orgasm gap, I think the focus should be on closing the pleasure gap. And with pleasure, it's more of an encompassing term than an orgasm because not every woman or even every man will experience an orgasm. But if we make the goal of sexual encounters pleasure or sexual pleasure or sexual satisfaction, that, that broadens our understanding of sex that you don't need to necessarily have an orgasm or have or have a female ejaculation experience or squirt, if that makes sense. So whilst I'm encouraging I want more women to orgasm and more women to squirt if they want to, I don't think we should put pressure on women or couples that they have to orgasm or they have to squirt in order to enjoy a satisfied sexual encounter. Interesting. So what we're talking about is that there is a big difference between the amount of women that are able to achieve an orgasm regularly versus the amount of men. Um, and what you said was, you talked about specifically in heterosexual couples. Does this not happen or is the gap not the same in uh, same gender couples? Oh, that's a very good question. It's, the, a gap does exist, but it's not as wide, as wide. So there was a US study that was conducted, the largest study on the orgasm gap, um, where they interviewed about 52,000 people. And they found that men, heterosexual men, orgasm 95% of the time. Heterosexual women orgasm 65% of the time. With um, gay men, it was about 89% of the time. And with lesbian women, it was about 89% or 86% of the time. So it does show that amongst women or same gender relations women are able to orgasm more regularly and more frequently than heterosexual women and one of the reasons which a number of the authors and researchers found that was because obviously two women together they're more likely to understand the female anatomy and what turns a woman on more than a male partner so it's not that anything was and i don't like to use the word wrong with the woman or heterosexual women it's just that when she's with a male partner maybe because she's not able to, um, she doesn't feel comfortable to let herself go and to open up, and he's also not able to stimulate her adequately the way she needs to be stimulated. That's why um, straight women or heterosexual women orgasm less frequently than um, lesbian women in, in sexual encounters. So a lot of it comes down to lack of clitoral stimulation, like I mentioned earlier, 
and a lot of misinformation and ignorance about um, the female anatomy and how a woman um, experiences pleasure in the bedroom. Exactly. So it has nothing to do with anatomy per se, but just the way that the technique is used in different types of sexual encounters. And because same gender couples most likely do more things than just penetrative sex, like a lot of heterosexual couples do. And I am talking generally, I'm not saying that everybody does this, but generally speaking, that's what happens. And because on same gender couples, they do stimulate other parts in different and in different ways and they know themselves better, like you were saying, it shows that it is easier to achieve that. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting because you just said it. Why? You know, try different things. Don't just try penetrative sex and the results will be different or will probably be different. But this topic about the orgasm gap has been a lot more talked upon. I mean, I was even reading an article that Alice Booster wrote for Forbes, and she was was also talking about this as well. Why is this now gaining momentum? I think it's become, um, in the Western world in particular, in America and and, um, Western Europe, it's become like a a really topical issue. Um, Even there are a number of porn sites, I'm not going to name them, but some high-profile porn sites, We've started an orgasm gap campaign um, and there's a couple actually reached out to me and was asking if I can jump on board. And The whole idea is, I think it's good that they're encouraging or they're trying to teach people, and men in particular, that women or your female partners do have a right to sexual fulfillment, sexual pleasure and orgasm. And it's about men being more, um, less selfish, shall I say, in the bedroom or just improving their understanding about sex and to expand, like I mentioned earlier, our understanding of sex, that it, just, it should not just involve penetrative intercourse. There are different ways you could stimulate um, your partner and even maybe draw on the experiences of ancient traditions like kunyasa, which is non-penetrative sexual practice, or tantra um, has got a number of um, practices, or the Taoist tradition from ancient China, which concentrates on non-ejaculatory um, sexual encounters. So it's not all always about an orgasm. So it's just about understanding different ways that, both partners can experience sexual fulfillment and sexual satisfaction. So I think it's good. Um, And I think maybe because there's now more women sex researchers and sexologists in the field, whereas traditionally when we look at the study of um, human sexuality, it was generally taught by men and white men as well. So they're mainly focusing on how a man gets off. And we've got even the likes of uh, Sigmund Freund who spoke about that a woman, um, an immature woman, experiences um, vaginal orgasms, whereas clitoral orgasms, no, um, a, a mature woman, he said, experiences um, vaginal orgasm, whereas a clitoral orgasm is seen as a um, something for an immature woman. And these type of findings, which now I'm glad it's been debunked and it's been challenged, but because previously when we was looking at sexuality, it was always from the heterosexual male lens and it's always about penetrative intercourse so that's why we didn't look up at avenues where a woman can experience sexual pleasure like we're finding now so that's why i think the orgasm cap has, has got so much traction in, in in the press and popular culture i agree and i and i really like the fact that it's being talked about the fact that you, that you were uh, invited by a porn company or a porn website to talk about that or to help them uh, talk about this issue, I think that's very interesting because a lot of the times we believe that, or not we, but a lot of people believe that porn is not a good thing and it doesn't portray reality, which it doesn't. So the fact that they are worried to portray more reality and to help shorten a gap, I think that's really interesting. It is. I mean, because for most people, if we're honest, most people, they receive their sex education from porn. 
Um, and I think a lot of porn companies are aware that although they're ultimately there to serve their customers, which are predominantly men, of course, there's you know women that watch view porn as well, but they're majority men. There are more women who are speaking about, okay, we deserve pleasure. We want to understand, or it's important that you educate your audience about female sexuality and female pleasure. So that's why I think they jumped on this campaign, you know, to, to close the orgasm gap. So now going to a more juicy subject. So what is kunyaza? So kunyaza is an ancient African technique to help women orgasm or squirt during heterosexual encounters. Um, it's originally from Rwanda in East Central Africa, um, and it's been practiced for hundreds of years. And it basically involves a man using his erect penis to stimulate um, the clitoris and labia minora in the form of a uh, tapping or like knocking technique where he, again, there's no, there's not a specific way he should do it. But the whole idea is it's a non-penetrative sexual practice where the man um, uses his penis, like I said, to stimulate the clitoral glands and labia minora in order to facilitate um, female ejaculation and or orgasm. And the technique has got a reputation for making what they call in Rwanda, making women water or find the water, which refers to the gush of fluid which emanates from the urethra, which is known in popular culture as squirting or female ejaculation. So it's a, it's a very popular technique in parts of Eastern Central Africa and parts of West Africa now. Um, and yeah, that's basically what Kunyaza is about. The fluid that comes out or the water is known as Kunyara whereas actual technique is called kunyaza. And in other parts of Africa, like um, in Kenya and Uganda, it's referred to as kachabali. That's sort of, so either you might hear kachabali or you might hear kunyaza, but they all refer to the same um, practice. Interesting. So kunyaza is female ejaculation, but it has a certain technique to be done. Um, you were saying it's, it's done with the, with the penis in order to stimulate the vulva of the woman and the vagina. Does it have to be the penis? Could it be a hand? So could, could same-sex couples also try this? Yeah, I've had that question received a number of times. I mean, theoretically, yes, but then it wouldn't be kunyaza if that makes sense because it's, a, it's, it's kunyaza. The whole idea is, is how the couple can connect. And the whole idea of, yes, obviously someone of the same gender could use their hands, but they probably wouldn't experience the sensation that a male is experiencing with his penis. And the reason why the male penis is encouraged to use is because not only is he, is he able to experience pleasure, but it's also helping him to relax and connect with his partner and understand what turns her on, as well as being giving him the skills, shall we say, to delay gratification. Because, for example, if a man is, man is stimulating his, his female partner or the same gender, um, whilst that's given the female partner pleasure, the other partner is not experiences as much pleasure other than seeing their partner being gratified stimulated so the whole idea with kunyaza is that it's the two genitals that are engaging in an act together but it's also teaching the male partner to delay his gratification and understand his body whilst he's stimulating the female partner so that's why the two come together so i mean it's i'm not originally from rwanda i'm just teaching the technique or how it was taught um so it's generally taught as a heterosexual um a practice between a man and a woman Okay. I feel that it's it's generally also heterosexual just because, you know, society is, is heteronormative. I'm, I'm not a specialist like, like, like you saw, but I mean, my feeling is that it can be practiced by same gender uh, couples. That's, that's my feeling. Well, for a person that has a vagina. So why do you think that this is an interesting technique and why should people try it? I think it's interesting technique, but it's, it's attracts a lot of attention because 
it's got a reputation of squirting. So um, like I said, um, the technique, how it originated was, um, and the story goes in ancient um, Rwanda, there was a queen, and this was like hundreds of years ago, who her husband, the king, was off on a military expedition and she was yearning for some sexual satisfaction. So she called one of her guards and she summoned him to make love to her. Now at the time, the guard was worried and scared and um, she said, if you know, if you don't make love to me, I'm going to get you executed. So as the guard came forth towards her, he started, he took out his manhood and he was shaking. And as he was shaking, he was using his penis to hit against the woman's um, vulva area. And from that emanated a large gush of water. And from this, um, that's how the Lake Kivu in East Central Africa started. Again, this is just a story, but that's how the story is taught. Um, but the whole idea is that female pleasure comes first, women deserve to be satisfied, and women have the ability to squirt or um, or ejaculate fluid. So because of the not only the story, but the reputation that it's got, and in parts of Rwanda, um, there are studies that show that 80%, 80-90% to of women report being able to squirt or ejaculate. So it's attracted a lot of attention from the Western world that they want to know what is this aging technique and is it true that you know women can squirt? And so there's a lot of hype around kunyaza and for me it's not really just the practice itself but it's the fact that you've got in africa you've got a pleasure positive practice that's focused on women's pleasure because generally when we think about africa especially african sexuality in the western world we generally hear about the negative or things like female genital mutilation and things like that so for me it was refreshing seeing a pleasure positive or women pleasure positive practice that puts women first and I think that's something that we generally the opposite of what we see in the west so I think that's why it's attracted a lot of interest and again people maybe because of porn as well there is this like idea that every a lot of women want to know about squirting so that's why I think a lot of people are interested in the kinyaza and practice and technique. Absolutely. You know, the, the fact that it's a positive view of sexuality from, um, from Africa, I love it. And it makes total sense because if, if the numbers are there, you know, 80 to 90% of women in, in Rwanda uh, using this technique can squirt. That, that's very interesting numbers. But my thing is, should somebody really aim to squirt? You know, is there like a big difference in pleasure or is it just a different sensation? Yeah, I'm, I, and like I said earlier, I, I wouldn't say that people should go into sexual encounters with that as the sole goal, because again, it can put pressure on people. So it's not that, that's why I said it's all about pleasure. And that's why I entitled my book, The Secret to Female Pleasure, rather than The Secret to Squirting or The Secret to Orgasm, because I think pleasure, which is more holistic, and people can experience just as much pleasure without squirting or without orgasm. So I'm not saying that that should be the aim. Um, but that might be the aim of some couples for different reasons, but I don't think people should put pressure on themselves. So it's not for me to say you shouldn't go into a sexual encounter wanting to orgasm or wanting to squirt. If, if that's your goal or aim, that's fine, but I don't think that should be the ultimate aim, if that makes sense. I think the ultimate aim should ultimately be about connection and sexual satisfaction, but at the same time, there are some people who might, as long as it's not going to bog them down, if they think that, okay, I want to learn how to orgasm, I want to learn how to squirt, then I don't think anything is wrong in and of that self. But I don't think that should be the ultimate aim. So as much as I teach the kunyasa practice and I teach about squirting and try to demystify a lot of the misconceptions that people have around squirting and ejaculation, um, that's not the ultimate aim or goal for me for kunyasa, but that might be for someone else. So whilst I'm teaching the tradition that's got, like I said, the reputation of squirting and, and, and ejaculation, I'm not making that that's the emphasis of kunyasa. 
Yes. Um, and, and I like the fact that you emphasize on that because it is important for people to not aim for that. And I think it's actually helpful when people don't aim for specific goal. They just enjoy more the ride. It's like we're always thinking about the future, but never the present. So I, I agree with your vision. And by the way, the reviews on your book, can you just say again the name? Sorry. Yeah. So the book is called Kunyaza. The Secret to Female Pleasure. Yes, exactly. I was reading the reviews on Amazon and I love them. It's the way that people are saying, you know, um, every woman and man should read this and people just referring to one another. So it really shows that it's about pleasure overall. And people are just saying, this really teaches you to enjoy the ride and to have a healthy sexuality. So if anybody's looking for that, which I'm sure everybody is, by the way, go out and, and check Habib's book. Meanwhile, I know you also do a workshop on kunyaza. So I know this is uh, not your workshop, but if you, if you could get to, if you could say two or three tips for our listeners, what would be the best way for people to get started with kunyaza? I would say five, okay, five tips then. Ah, perfect. Amazing. Yeah. What I call um, like the five C's, which is the most important thing for kunyaza or women's pleasure in this case, um, Communication, connection, consideration, clitoral stimulation, and um, concentration. That refers to being mindful and present. Because what, what I teach people when I'm doing the um, workshop is that the technique and practice, that's fairly straightforward. It's like quite mechanical, the same way sex is. But if you're not concentrated, both the man and the woman, if you're not present, if you're not mindful, you're not going to be able to enjoy the fruits of kunyaza. And that's something that a lot of people that come to my workshop, is, is this idea that, okay, tell me what I need to do. And then, you know, we're going to square and it's, it doesn't work like that. That's why it's all about understanding kunyaza and what you need to, the mindset you need to be in both the man and the woman before kunyaza. And that's why concentration is important, that you need to be mindful, you need to be present during this practice. So that's why, again, I don't just like to speak about the technique. I speak about the culture behind kunyaza. I speak about the influence of the African women known as the Sengas who teach um, women about, again, they, they, could, they should accept themselves and give themselves permission to experience pleasure. And during the sexual practice, it's, about, it's important to concentrate and be mindful and to ignore the self-critical thoughts or you know, the distracting thoughts and be, and be present in the practice. So that's why concentration is very important. I think a lot of times um, you know, we go into these sexual encounters and thinking about the goal or how long I should last or how strong I should be or how fast I should be. It's all goal-orientated rather than concentrating on the pleasure that your body is experiencing so there's not a disconnect between the mind and the body. So yeah, the fifth one, which is arguably the most important, which I almost forgot, which is concentration. So they're the five Cs, yeah. Communication, connection, consideration, clitoral stimulation, and concentration. So I'm actually going to go against your advice. You just said, you know, don't look for the goal. I'm going to go for the goal. And that is, come on, give us some juicy, juicy tips on how people can really try it. Because I can feel everybody listening and saying, yeah, yeah, I know. You know, I'm, I'm going to feel it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to connect with my partner. Now what? What do I do? At, at least one tip. Yeah. I mean, I gave you tips. So the concentration of being mindful. If you're in kunyaza, that you're concentrated, you're mindful, you're present, and you allow yourself to let go, you're more likely to increase in chance of you being able to squirt or orgasm. So the technique itself, there's different ways you can do the technique, whether it's a zigzag method or horizontally, and that's fairly straightforward. But if, especially as a woman, if a woman doesn't give herself permission to experience pleasure and to relax and doesn't concentrate on the pleasure she's experiencing, 
she's not going to experience anything. So that's why the tips that I'm giving, like those five C's, and yes, you can be goal-orientated, but if you're not concentrating on, like rather than concentrating on the goal of orgasm, goal of squirting, concentrating on the pleasure that your body is receiving with the mind and the body, then you're more likely to squirt, then you're more likely to orgasm. So that is um, the tip or the advice that I would give. And that's probably the most important thing. And it's different sex educators or sex coaches. They might teach this in the form of mindfulness. They might teach this in the form of yoga, but it's all the one and the same thing. It's all about being mindful. Now, a lot of people, unfortunately, especially in the Western world, we suffer from sexual anxiety and performance anxiety because, you know, sex needs to be linear and it needs to be a certain way. Whereas if you're going into it the same way when you're having a conversation with a loved one or a friend, you don't set up specifically, this is how we're going to speak. You just let it flow naturally, organically. And that's what it should be the same with your sexual encounters. It should be about adult fun, adult play, that it's not rigid. So that's why, although when I give tips, I try to make it quite broad so a lot of people can um, embrace it rather than being this, you need to do this specifically after one minute and 35 seconds, then do this, then do this position, then do that position. And that's a problem that I think we have in the Western world that we want a prescriptive prescriptive script that people can take away and go home and practice this with, this, with their partner. And that's not the case. The same way, like lo- making love is similar to when you're having a, a sensual dance that yes, you can learn the guides, the guidelines and teach it, but you have to practice and enjoy it with your partner, what suits you. That's why for me, and this is the way I was brought up and taught, is that I don't give prescriptive exactly what you're supposed to do. I'll give you the guides, and it's for whether if you're by yourself or with your partner to see what works for you. And that's the same as even when the Karma Sutra, everyone speaks about like the Karma Sutra, for example. And this is something which I think one of the problems when people, they learn these techniques without understanding the culture and the philosophy behind it. So with the Karma Sutra, for example, that everyone, when they think about the Karma Sutra, they think it's just about sex positions. When the actual book, the Kama Sutra, only 25% of the book speaks about sex positions. It's about love, it's about connection, it's about how to achieve sexual harmony. And the reason why the author wrote so many different sex positions was to help couples with different, again, heterosexual couples in this context, different um, genital um, sizes so they can be compatible. Because like he was saying, there's like three different, he, he summarizes, says that he said there's three different types of genital sizes for men and three different genital sizes for women. And then he was explaining, for example, a man with a small penis, maybe he might, this position might suit him better suit to enjoy a more fulfilling sexual experience. Or a woman with a certain type of vulva, this might be a more fulfilling experience. And that's why he laid out the different sexual positions. Whereas in the West, what we've done is we've just seen this book, oh, Kama Sutra, I want to do this position. I want to do that position. I've done 24 positions. I've done 26 out of the 64 arts. Therefore, I'm a sexual master. And it's not about that. It's not about like a tick spot exercise. It's about understanding what works for you. So like I said, like in the Karma Sutra, all of those 64 arts of sexual seduction and lovemaking, maybe only two or three you need to have a fulfilling experience. And that's fine. But if you're looking at it like I need to master all 64 for me to be accomplished in the bedroom, it doesn't. that's not what the ancients were teaching. And that's why... I'm trying to change that way of how sex education is kind of taught where it's very prescriptive. Like I said, that give me these five things. And if I do this, I'm going to be able to squirt, you know, waterfalls and have the best orgasmic experience because then that reduces our experience to be of sex being performative rather than being a holistic um, central experience that both the partners can experience together. Well, Habibi, I just got schooled. So I was looking for that recipe, but there is no recipe. And 
And thank you, because, you know, at, at Pleasey Play, we actually have that exact philosophy. It's about connecting with your partner. It's about intimacy. It's about fulfilling your relationship and communicating. So it doesn't really matter the technique that you're going to use. As long as you do everything else, the technique is just secondary. It's, it's what works for you. And like you were saying, maybe there are different techniques for people to do the kunyuaza and to enjoy pleasure because it depends on the person. And I really like what you were talking about the Kama Sutra because it's viewed like a sexual position book, but it is about the connections and about the, um, ex the, the feeling and the experiment as a whole and not the end goal, which is try this and achieve that. So yes, everybody, I just got schooled on air. Oh, amazing. <laughs> By the way, I'm happy about that. So just to finish this up on, on the kunyaza part, do you think that, and, and talking about the orgasm gap, do you think that kunyaza can be one of the solutions for the orgasm gap and to close it down? Most definitely. And I like the way you phrase, you phrase the question, could it be one of the solutions as opposed to the solution? So I don't subscribe to you know, one technique being the solution because it, it, it varies from couple to couple. But I, I definitely do believe that is a solution or one of the solutions for the orgasm gap. And the reason being, like I mentioned earlier, it teaches, again, because the orgasm gap, which is mainly common between heterosexual couples because of the emphasis on um, penetrative intercourse and lack of emphasis on clitoral stimulation, it's a practice which the man concentrates on clitoral stimulation it allows him to understand um, the woman's um, anatomy as well as understand what turns it on because when he's performing the kunyaza and obviously there's different positions how you can perform kunyaza but ultimately because he's not doing it he's concentrating on her pleasure and her anatomy it allows him to focus on her not only her genitalia but how her body is 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 responding to the clitoral stimulation and I think that's very important whereas when you're doing a penetrative intercourse it's very difficult obviously Regardless, regardless of what position that you're doing that in, to understand or to see how she's responding. So that's why I think Kunyaza is a solution to the orgasm gap because ultimately it's teaching the man that make sure that the woman is satisfied first, and then you come after. Then you then you come after. So I definitely think it can be um, a solution to close the orgasm gap, which is one of my missions to close. Whether it's orgasm gap or how I prefer to use it or call it the pleasure gap, because a lot of women go into sexual encounters or come out of sexual encounters without feeling sexually fulfilled. So irrespective of having an orgasm. So I think it's important that Kunyaza can be a potential solution to close not only the orgasm gap, but more importantly, the pleasure gap. Yes. And uh, like you were saying, you can even have an orgasm and be still feel that you didn't have really much pleasure. So it's much more important to focus on, you know, the pleasure gap than the orgasm. So something that I would love to know is, and this is something that we ask every guest, how do you keep your relationship open, exciting, and intimate? You know, now these are the special recipe tips that people can use in their relationships to also have that fulfilling, pleasurable, and intimate relationship. Uh, so I've always been someone, and this is something maybe that my, a few of my uncles taught me, is that in relationships, always keep yourself distant from your partner, as in, and there is a number of sexologists that speak about this, about this whole idea that love can kill desire. And I've understood that from a relatively young age that whilst intimacy and love and connection is very important, it can kill or it can reduce the eroticism or the fire or the flame that, you know, you need to have a, a healthy sex life. 
And I think whilst we hear a lot about the importance of love and building the connection and romance, we don't hear much about how can we keep the fire alive. And I think one of the reasons is because I always try to be independent from my partner. So she has her own separate life. I have my own separate life. We do come together. But at the same time, if I'm trying to do everything with her to the point where there's nothing new that I can talk to her about all my experiences or different conversations or whatever, it can't create any sort of form of excitement. And that's why I think it's important that as couples, although you come together, I think it's important that both of you have your own separate individual lives. So you, can, when you do come together, that you can create the magic in the bedroom. So I, I, I think it's healthy that as much as people, and it can be very difficult and challenging during the lockdown, which I understand because you know we're in each other's um, faces all the time. But I think it's important that you create your sense of being independent away from your partner, and even for women as well as mothers that. You're more than, even though you're a mother, you can also be an erotic being, a sexual being, and a sexual being. And I think this idea that once you become like a mother or once you become a wife or a husband, you desexualize yourself. And I don't think that's quite healthy. So I think it's important that you can be a multifaceted being, but ultimately I would just say it's, it's important that you create that erotic space between yourself and your partner to kind of keep that spark alive because desire does need some form of mystery or novelty. No one's ever given that advice. So I think that's that's great advice. You know, keep your individuality, although you're in a couple. So you're two parts of one, but you're not one part alone. Yeah. Amazing. Habib, where can people find you? And I'm assuming a lot of people might be interested also on your workshops, on knowing more about the books. Sure. So my books are available on Amazon, um, Kunyaza, um, K-U-N-Y-A-Z-A, um, Kunyaza, The Secret to Female Pleasure. It's also available on my website, rabahh.com forward slash store. Um, you can check me out on Instagram. I do a number of like quizzes and stories on my Instagram. It's Habib, H-A-B-E-E-B underscore A-K-A-N-D-E. Habib's Instagram is a source of a lot of information and a lot of fun facts as well. So please do check it out. Thank you so much, Habib, for being with us. It's been a pleasure to learn more about Kunyaza, about the orgasm gap, and above all, of how to close the pleasure gap. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay, I'll take care. And that was Intimacy Play. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about Pleasy and how we can take your relationship to the next level, visit pleasyplay.com. Then also make sure to search for Intimacy Play in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Pleasy, thank you for listening.